You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest speaker with us. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truth from His Word today. If there is anything that the church and indeed the world desperately needs today, it is a real heaven-sent, Holy Ghost-empowered movement of God. We need it desperately. We need it immediately. And I believe that we need it personally. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher of Wells, once said, I am profoundly convinced that the greatest need in the world today is a revival in the church of God. Now think about that. If that was true over a half a century ago, how much more true is it today? The church in America desperately needs a fresh touch from God, a fresh outpouring of his Holy Spirit, a holy fire that has started from God that will consume this place and spread to our homes and our neighborhoods and our schools and our city and our state and our nation and ultimately spread around the world. We need revival. We need revival in our time today. Now, why is it that we have so much potential and resources and personnel and, and Bibles, and yet so little seems to be happening that could not be explained unless God did it. I think sometimes with all of the self-help books that are out there on, uh, on churches and church growth and all of that, it's almost as if if you just do these things, we don't even really need God. We don't need the Holy Spirit. We can build a, a, a large group of people. But when it's all said and done, what do we have? What is there that really matters for eternity if that's all there is? And so, so what, what we really need is God. Well, I think, I think we can find some good truths for us this morning in the book of Acts. And so we're going to basically cover the entire chapter of Acts uh, chapter 2, um, not necessarily look at every verse, but we'll kind of move our way through here. And I want to begin by looking just at the beginning of it to get our minds started here. In Acts chapter 2, of course, uh, I'm sure most of you are familiar with the fact that it's the day of Pentecost. It said when the, the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were setting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's pray. Father. We are so thankful that we can be in your house today. When we look at the condition of our country and what is going on in our government, the decisions that are being made, Father, it is concerning to us that as a church, 
things might change drastically in the days ahead. But Father, we are so thankful that you are still the same and you always will be. And you have promised that, that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. And so I pray, Father, that you would give us boldness in the days ahead. I pray that you would fill our hearts with a passion to be set on fire from you. That, Father, we would have the determination in our hearts to, to follow the disciplines that we need to follow in order to experience your moving in our lives in a special way. And so, Father, I pray that you would guide us in the study of this tremendous chapter and in this thought of revival and what you want to do in each one of us, that, Father, we would be changed and that, most importantly, we would see Jesus today. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. As I read this particular chapter and, and those first four verses, I, I, I love to see what he's saying there. I mean, he's talking about fire to burn and, and, and wind to spread it and tongues that are willing to talk about it. it. It was a church that was on fire. It was a church that was set on fire by the Holy Spirit of God. It wasn't something that the people just generated themselves, but God came down in a special way that day. And so what we have here is one of the greatest pictures in all of the Bible that shows us what happens when revival comes. Fire burns, fire consumes, fire attracts, fire transforms. And that's exactly what will take place in this place when and if revival were to come. Vance Havner said this, we are not going to move this world by criticism of it or conformity to it. And, and, and aren't we so tempted to criticize? So tempted to, to kind of to strike out against it and all of that. And then there are many that will just conform to it. They'll throw their hands up and they say, what's the use? We can't fight them. But he said that, that we are not going to move this world by criticism of it or conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. And that is what's going to change the world. When our lives are set on fire and we combust inside of this world that we live. I think that most of us here today would say that we long to be part of a church where God moves in a supernatural way. And we thank God for the blessings that have been upon this church and how God has used this church in the past in great ways. But there is so much more that God wants to do, so much more that he would do as we are yielded to him. And so we don't want, we don't want to have an ordinary church we want to be a church that God sets on fire for his glory. And one thing that I know from studying about revival is that if God will set the church on fire, it will, it will touch and transform the entire area. If God sets a church on fire. And I want us to be kind of like the, the little town where the church caught on fire one night and everybody in the town, including the town drunk, 
came out to watch that old church building burn and the pastor, he caught a sight of that, of that old drunk and, and it irritated him just a little bit that, that he would be there at, at that fire. And so uh, it just was gnawing at him and finally he walked over to that old drunk and he said, why is it that you're out here when you have never darkened the doors of this church? And the old drunk said, well, it's the first time I've ever seen this church on fire. <laughs> Isn't that a shame? Wow. That a physical fire can attract and affect the lives of people all over town. But the, the truth of the matter is that they've never seen a spiritual fire of God burning within the entire group that make up the church. So can you imagine what it would be like if a spiritual fire, a spiritual church fire was to break out? What do you, what do you think would happen if God were to start a revival fire in, in this part of his body, in this church, in Fellowship Baptist Church? What, what would it be like? When we think about it in the studies that we've had on revival, we understand that when revival comes, it attracts, it affects, it changes, it convicts, it converts, and nobody near it or around it will ever be the same. That's what happens when revival comes. So let me just say that we talk a lot about revival in our churches, but too often we don't really think about what it takes to get to the place in our lives personally well, that, where that revival can take place. There must be a preparation. There must be a change in order to make the environment right for the movement of God. Now remember that true revival is a mighty movement of God, not something that, that is, is, is man-made, not something that man can control, that man can dictate and just say, we're going to have revival. And it's one thing to have revival services and pray that God will genuinely come and bring his presence into that. Yet there are certain things that must be in place for revival to break out. God is not going to force revival upon those who are not ready and those who don't seek it and those who don't deserve it. A national revival of great awakening proportions is something that seems like it may never happen the way our country is currently going. When we look at the spiritual condition across our country, the spiritual condition of churches and believers and the things that are happening, we, we can almost say it doesn't seem like it's possible for there to be a change. It, things are going so quickly in the opposite direction. How is that ever going to stop and turn around? It's going to take the combustion of the people of God in the church of God. Things need to change. We need to see a change of course in, in the church. As pastor was talking about 
last Wednesday night that believe that that judgment first begins in the house of God. And if it begins without, how much greater will it be in the world around us? Revival must also happen within our individual churches because church is where God brings his change to the world. So revival, revival can also come to our hearts and our lives, but, but they must be uh, uh, aligned with the Lord. And so many times we see an, an issue and we think about the, the symptoms rather than the problem. Too many believers today desperately want the Lord to bring revival, a sweeping change into their lives, but they don't want to get in the right heart posture. I want change, but I don't want to do anything about it. I want God to change, to change my circumstances. I want God to change this or that, but I, I don't want to do anything about my heart. They want the rewards and the great things that come, but not the effort or the dedication to arrive at that point. Now, we all must look inward in our own self and see if we indeed are ready for the Lord to bring a revival that is both corporate and personal. And may I say to you that God is willing and he is able and he desires for his children to draw closer to him. So if there is a problem in the spiritual areas, the problem is with us. It's not God. So if God seems missing in our lives and there doesn't seem to be a fire in our life, it's not God. There's something in our life still that we need to address. So this morning, we're going to look at the effects of revival, and we're going to begin to pray for God to pour out revival fire on this church, his church, in our time. And so first of all, in verses 3 to 14, we see that, that, that Peter begins to preach Jesus boldly. It says there, we've already read verses two, uh, 3 and 4, so let's just jump to verse 5. And, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together, and they were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judah and Cap uh, Cappadocia and, and Pontus and Asia and Pergia and Pamphylia in Egypt and all of the parts of Libya about Serene and the strangers of Rome and Jews and proselytes and Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? And others mocking said, These men are full of new wine, but Peter... I love that. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea 
uh, Judah, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. Isn't that just like the world? God, God does something supernatural that they can't understand, and they say, oh, they must be drunk. Now, that, that's kind of kind of funny to me and the thought that, okay, so here are these people speaking in such a way that all of these other people from different nationality are hearing them in their own tongues. How often do drunk people do that? I mean, when you think about it, <laughs> you usually can't understand them. And yet they're saying uh, they must be drunk because they can speak another language. Now, I'll go ahead and warn you. If God does something supernatural in this church, there will be those in this area and maybe inside of the church itself, I don't know, who will try to explain it away by saying something like, oh, that's just emotionalism. That's just manipulation. They don't really mean it. They're not really that sincere. And listen, we'd better be very careful about downplaying or ridiculing a movement of God if God moves upon this church. So what did Peter do? He began to preach. As a matter of fact, when what you have in these next few verses here in chapter 2 is the first Christian sermon. Now, I'm going to tell you about what he preached about in just a moment, but I want to just take a, a moment here before we do that and just talk to you for a moment. We are living in a day when many people and even some pastors are trying to do away or downplay the importance and the primacy of preaching the word. Amen. Some churches emphasize their home groups, and other churches emphasize their drama ministry or their music ministry or their children's ministry and all of these things in their place. They could be good and helpful in ministry and mentoring people in the church and reaching people outside of the church. But these things must never and can never replace the man of God preaching the word of God in the power of the spirit of God to the people of God. Never can that happen and still have revival. There's a reason that, that Baptist churches put their pulpits front and center in, in their buildings and not, not on the side like other denominations do. Have you ever thought about that? Why do they got their pulpit over there off to the side? And why do we have it right in the center? There, there's a reason for that. That is, that is intentional, intentional, and it's deliberately done to show the place that preaching is to have in the house of God. It is the, it is the center of everything that we do. It's the power of God to transform lives. The first event in church history was the preaching of Peter 
which by the way led to 3,000 people getting saved and the church being sent out into the entire world. Try doing that with interpretational dance or motivational talks. Now, what did he preach? There are those today who say, well, we can't offend people. We shouldn't talk about sin. We shouldn't talk about the blood. We shouldn't talk about all of these things because that's offensive. We want to bring people in. We want to build a big church and all of that. And so we're careful not to be offensive. But what did Peter preach? This is one of the, if one of the greatest, if not the greatest sermon ever preached since the beginning of the church. So what did, what did Peter preach on on the day of Pentecost? Watch this. He preached Jesus. Hallelujah. He preached Jesus. Look at, look at verses 20, uh, 22 and 23. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. He preached Jesus by preaching the resurrection in verse 24. He said, um, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held of it. And jump down to verse 32 there. This Jesus has God raised up, wherefore we all are witnesses. He preached Jesus by, by preaching the exaltation of Jesus in verse 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed um, forth his, uh, this which ye now see and hear. And jump down to verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And then he preached Jesus by invitation when he said in verse 37 down to 40, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from the upter, uh, um, uh, untoward generation. And so he preached Jesus. The second thing that, that we see here is that the people received the word of God gladly. Peter preached the word and the people received the word. And what you have here in these following verses are eight characteristics of a, of a revived church. Now, over the past three weeks, we have been talking about 
the biblical meaning of revival and 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 we we have seen that revival is is the sovereign supernatural movement of god among his people that comes about as a re direct result of their prayer their repentance their holiness that results in a fresh walk that we walk with the lord among believers and 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 and, and drawing the lost to christ Today we discover the means of revival to happen when the Holy Spirit is flowing in and through our lives. And right here, we have a wonderful marks of revival. This is what happens in this place when revival comes. This is the kind of church this church will become when we are, are purged and purified by the revival fires of God. Let me give you eight characteristics that we see here in, in Acts. The first thing we see, it was an obedient church. It was obedient church. In verse 41, then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, why do I say that it was obedient church? Because the very first thing that, de that they did after they received the word of God and trusted Christ as their Savior they were obedient to the Lord in the area of the command of baptism. I, I don't understand folks who get, who get saved and then it, it's, it's years before they ever follow the Lord in obedience to baptism. I don't, I don't understand that. That is not something that we see in scriptures. In the scriptures we see people get saved and they get baptized. Baptism is the first step of obedience in a believer's life. And there is no way that a person is going to grow in their relationship with Christ if they neglect and reject the commands of God. And this is a command. And so if we put that off and reject it, how do we expect to grow? So the very first thing that will happen in a church when revival fire is there, people will obey the word of God. They won't try to debate the word of God or dilute the word of God. They'll simply and gladly say like Simon Peter did when Jesus told him to go out a little bit deeper and drop his nets again. He said, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the nets. <laughs> and what a reward there was when he let down those nets. Secondly, it was a committed church in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostle doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread in, in prayers. In other words, they had a steady commitment. They, they weren't hot one week and then cold the next week. They weren't, they weren't on one week and off the next week. They were steady. They were steadfast. They could be counted on. And let me just insert this. It is, it is significant to see to what they were committed. Luke tells us right, right off the bat that they were committed to the apostles' teaching. The teaching of the word of God. They loved to hear the word of God being taught and preached to them. They were committed to fellowship, getting together with others and having fellowship around the teaching of the word of God. This was the original Bible fellowship time. What an amazing thing. Let me make it, make it real clear also and put it in layman's terminology. They showed up weekly. And they showed up early, and they showed up eagerly for Sunday school. 
They, they didn't have to be called and coaxed. It's interesting to me that in, in a lot of the, the, uh, the church growth seminars in over 40 years, I've read a lot of stuff about that and about simulating people and, and, and contacting them and making sure you encourage them to come out every week and all that kind of stuff. We don't see that here. They didn't have to, to write them letters and remind them, oh, by the way, we're having church this coming Sunday. They didn't have to do that. They were going to beat the preacher and the teacher there. And the reason is because they realized how important it was for them and those around them to be committed to the Bible and to fellowship and to the teaching of the word of God. It was a Christ-centered church. That, that, that's literally what the Bible means when it talked about that they were breaking of bread. It talks about the Lord's Supper and about Christ and how he was the center and the circumference of everything that took place in the church. He was the foundation and the focus of the church. This was Jesus' church. And they realized that. It was a praying church. They not only believed in the power of prayer, but they bathed everything and anything that they did in prayer. They prayed corporately as a body. They prayed individually. They prayed daily. They prayed fervently. They believed in the power of prayer. It was an empowered church. In verse 43, he says, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Evan Robert was a a, um, man that God used mightily during the the great Welch revivals. And there's a story that was told of Evan Roberts that tells about him preaching in in a small village when a man came to him one day and asked uh, Evan Roberts to come to his house and pray for his wife. The man that came to Evan was an an unbeliever, but his wife had been sick and literally on her deathbeds for, for many years. And so out of desperation, this unsaved man went and found Evan Roberts when he was in that town, and he asked him to come and pray after the service was over for his wife. He had evidently seen something in the power of God in this man's preaching and how how it was sweeping across town. And so after the service that night, Evan Robert and a few of the men that were there in the church, they went to that little home and they prayed for that sick woman. But nothing happened. Nothing at all took place that night. But they prayed fervently. The next morning, For the first time in years, that lady got up, got dressed, and she went to the market to go shopping. And the whole town was following her. (laughs) They were like, what happened to this woman? They prayed. And it doesn't always happen immediately. But when we are fervent and faithful in praying, God will answer the prayer in his timing. It was a giving church in verses 44 and 45. It says, and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. They not only gave their hearts to Jesus, 
They gave everything to Jesus. It belongs to him anyways. And when we give to Jesus, God's going to take care of us. Charles Finney, the great revivalist, he said, if you want to know how mean a man really is, just go after him with an offering plate. <laughs> we don't want to be like that, do we? And I, and I thank God for the, just the, the testimony that we've known of the church here over the years in the faithfulness of giving, taking care of your pastor, taking care of your missionaries and all of that. What a blessing to see that. Number seven, it was a happy church. Verses 46 and 47 says, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Do you want to know what was different about this church? They were satisfied with Jesus. They were satisfied with Jesus. It was a respected church. We see that there in the middle of verse, verse 47 when it says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Or, or I guess the first part, that's what I want. They're praising God and having favor with all the people. It, it, it meant something to be a part of this church. The community saw something different in this church, something good, something powerful. They saw the hand of God upon these people and as a result, it, it was a respected church. Now, what was the result of all this? We see the final thing in verse 47 there that the Lord added to the church daily. Daily, think about it. What did revival do in their lives? What did revival do in their church? Revival turned a cowardly preacher into a courageous preacher. Revival took a church that was huddled in an upper room and he sent them out into the streets proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the face of persecution. And it reached the world with the gospel. Revival changed them, and it really changed the world forever. Perhaps the best way to understand the marks of revival is seeing how we in our church look without the results of revival. Now, let me just say in closing here that if you are on fire, I'm not talking about spiritual fire here. I'm talking about on fire. You'll know it, right? If your clothes are burning and you're on fire, you don't need somebody to say, what's going on with you? <laughs> you know it. And, and not only will you be able to feel it, you'll probably be doing something different <laughs> than you normally do. You might be, you might, might be acting different than normal. Perhaps you'll be running and maybe even screaming and waving your arms and, and, and crying, but certainly... You're not just going to be standing still if you're on fire. People have spiritual experiences and just act differently are one thing. Oh, they may jump up and they may holler, but it may not be true. 
It may not last. But if true fire of the Holy Spirit is upon you, it will cause you to be different. The fire will change you, not just in the short term, but in the long term. That's what happens when you are lit up by the Spirit of God. Don't we want heaven-sent revival? I believe that the first step in revival is acknowledging the absence of it. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.